Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey, welcome to the Do Business Better podcast. I'm your host, Damian Mason, but then again, you already knew that. Got a great guest for you today and also a lively discussion. Uh, my guest is Tom Singer. Tom is somewhat like me. He's roughly my age, and he does what I do. He goes around the world speaking at corporate events. Tom has a program called The Paradox of Potential, and we're going to talk today about what that really means and then what it's like to run your own business. He's in his 10th year of running his own business, and he also has a fantastic podcast you might want to check out called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Welcome to Do Business Better, Tom Singer. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So uh, we're meeting here in Austin because I'm here to do a presentation. You live here in Austin. You haven't always lived in Austin. Your background is you worked for a law firm. You were kind of like their marketing person for this large, huge, big city law firm. And then that all went kaput and you said, all right, I'm going to start doing business speeches. Tell me how that all happened. Yeah, I was the uh, director of marketing for Austin and Dallas for a big international technology law firm. And uh, I did that. I was with those lawyers for two and a half years. That law firm went away. I moved to another law firm. Uh, then I went to a bank and a consulting firm doing marketing, business development. My, my whole job was just to promote these professionals because lawyers and bankers suck at pr promoting themselves. And my job was to help with that. But I would go to all these conferences and I would see these professional speakers. And I remember sitting in the audience thinking, that person has a better job than I do. So 10 years ago, I got laid off from uh, the consulting firm I work for. And I said, that's it. I'm going out on my own. Yeah. So uh, a lot of people, and, and of course, you know, I got fans here. They listen to my stuff and I try to always bring them really good ideas and interesting insights on business. And then I always uh, open my presentation here the last few months with a story because just in December in Kansas City, a banker said, so like, uh, what, what is your job? I said, well, I'm, I'm on your schedule. Yeah, yeah. You're going to do a speech. But like, what's, what's your job? And I said, <laughs> well, I, I go around the country doing this and I write books and I own farms. I've got a few other things I do. Um, uh, is that not enough? And then and I make the joke, bankers are notoriously 9 a.m. till 3 p.m. type employees who go to the country club and play golf at least one day a week, and they're questioning my work ethic? <laughs> so this is a business. This is work. You 10 years ago, you were 42 years old. You got two kids that are still in, what, grade school to junior high school at this time, and you say... Uh, honey, I'm, I'm out of work because the, the law firm or the consulting firm it went away. I'm going to just now start uh, becoming a personality where I talk to business groups. Tell me how that whole thing evolved. Yeah, I got laid off on April 1st, 2009. And by the way, the irony of being laid off on April 1st is not lost on me. Mm -hmm. uh, I called my wife and said the job went away and I'm going to go after my dream of being a professional speaker. And she was very supportive, although secretly I think she cried and thought we would lose the house. <laughs> Uh, and I just started chasing the business of being being a speaker. I'd already written a couple of books. I already was. I knew this is what I wanted to do. And you knew about marketing. I mean, and I did. You were you were a marketing and sales oriented person. Your job was to make a law firm look good. So you knew business. It's not like you just uh, you know were all of a sudden uh, you know going from the milkshake dispensary at uh, Dairy Queen to <laughs> doing this. I mean, you knew business. I did, and and I knew that marketing and sales was hard. I knew it was a hustle. And so when I meet people in our business who who want to become speakers. 
I tell them you're a salesperson first because if you can't sell it, you never get to get on the stage. Yeah, I'm, and I, I hold chapter in my book, Do Business Better, about sales, and I break it down the 10, the 10 rules that Damien has because I used to be in sales. I've sold Cutco knives, herbicide, lighting fixtures, uh, my beef, and then obviously the services of my own business for the last 25 years. You are a salesperson, and the one thing that is, uh, and my wife always says, you do a really good job of bringing it down because she was not a salesperson. I always say it's first off, sales is not what everybody thinks it is. It's not hucksterism. It's not used car stuff. It's identifying a person's problem and positioning yourself as the solution as best you can. And if you can't be the solution, you shouldn't be trying to sell it anyhow. That's really what I think sales is. How do you how do you define sales? Well, I, I think that's right. But what I teach people, like I still go in and do training for for companies and for sales teams, uh, law firms. I still go in and do some some sales training for them. And what I always say is that, look, I'm not here to teach you how to close. Well, that's important. Being able to be the solution is important. The first thing you have to be able to do, and this comes out of my marketing background, is you have to be on the short list. Because here's the deal. Damien, if you were going to go speak for a company at a big company, conference for like some big association that, that deals with businesses and you've got this great book do business better and they they you know you want to be the speaker that they put up there here's the problem they're only going to hire one keynote speaker how many are they going to interview right they're going to look at they're going to look at uh, six different people they already they started with 10 then they boiled it down to five and then- right the short list though comes down to three usually yeah. most companies most industries tell me that when someone's making a decision they bring it down to two or three sure and it's the same thing if you're going to buy a car okay right. i look at the ford f-150 and i looked at the uh, the chevy silverado right uh, and so here's the thing if you're not one of those two or three people on this short list what are your odds of being that keynote speaker then pretty much none zero yep so my whole thing is is i've got to end up on the short list before I can do anything else. So lawyers get, you know, and other professional services people get, oh, we don't want to learn about sales. Ooh, sales, yuck. And I go, great. I'm not going to talk to you about sales. I'm going to talk to you about how do you get on the short list? Because if you're not on the short list, you have a zero chance of getting the business. So that's where my whole focus is, is I got, they got to know who I am and they've got to decide that I have something that's at least worthy of looking at. I identify this in, uh, in my book and I, I, in my speeches as well, where I talk about, okay, Maybe a Madison Avenue person would disagree. I say that there's a thing called marketing. There's a thing called advertising. There's a thing called sales. Marketing is telling the world who you are and what you do. Advertising is telling a specific segment of that population in the world what you can do for them. And then sales is asking that specific segment for the transaction. That's how I identify or define or, you know, the three aspects of it. Do you differ? No, I think I think that's true. I kind of lump it all under the big banner of business development because the things I do, whether it's the stuff I do on social media, whether it's videos that I make, whether it's when I'm speaking on stage, I've got an audience of 300 people. Someone out there might be able to hire me now. Yeah, I would love to speak to an audience of 300 meeting planners because obviously all 300 of them could either refer or hire me on the spot. But even if I'm speaking to the National Association of Truck Stop Operators, which was, you know, a great client, I think I worked for them like four times. The truth is, is most of them had 10 employees. Maybe twenty, I don't know, but they're not going to bring me in to do a keynote for at the, at the flying for their J hourly, truck stop right? In, uh, exactly, in Memphis. So the reality was, though, is I spun off a lot of business, not a lot, but I spun off some business 
from doing that. And it wasn't that I spun off to the people to come into their company. It was, oh, my God, my wife is the president of this association. She would love your message. You never know who in that audience is going to be able to do it. So speaking to me as part of business development, because I, I, somebody in the audience could refer me to somebody else. And then actually doing actual outbound sales calls is part of this. So I lump everything under business development because I need to find a way to get on the short list. The getting on the short list is a great thing. So if you're listening, dear listener, to this saying, what am I getting out of this? Right. There's a heck of a, a valuable lesson. Your business needs to be on the short list. As we always say, when you matter, you stay in business, meaning because customers, people, all of us, you yourself as the business owner, you spend money on what matters to you. You spend money on what you care about, what you think will make you happy or satisfy your need. And you're probably doing it emotionally. Folks always say they're doing it logically and they're shopping. No, no, no. There's an emotional component. People make emotional decisions and then justify it with facts. You want to be on the short list. How do you go from being on the short list to then being the selected product? So that's when the real sales piece comes into it. And to me, sales is asking questions. It's not about going into some diatribe where you've got some memorized elevator pitch where it's like, well, here's who I am and why I'm so great and why you should hire me. You've got to ask a lot of questions. And I struggle with this because where you're an introvert and we've talked about this, I'm an extrovert. I can sit there and, you know, go on and on and on. I like to be around people. I like to talk. But my joke is, is I think introverts are better salespeople and better networkers. And the reason is they'll ask more questions and actually listen. I always say that, you know what an extrovert's doing when you're talking? They're thinking, well, what can I say next, right? What can I say when it's my turn? I have a sister that I always make the point that uh, when you think she's listening, she's actually just inhaling, getting ready to talk some more. That's right. So I've had to train myself to ask more questions and listen intently before going into a solution. Because if I can ask five or six questions about what are you trying to accomplish with this training that you're doing inside your company or this conference that you're planning for your association, if I can really understand what a positive outcome is, I've been doing this for 10 years full time and my background, you know, I have a lot of interesting things that I can bring to the table. If I've made it to the short list, I then have to understand what is it that makes their event successful before I start telling them what solutions are coming out of my bag. What about uh, the person that's listening to this that says, you know, they own they own four subway franchises or they uh, they employ 17 people in a sheet metal fabrication facility. How's that different for them? You know, they still want to be on the short list. They want to be the company that is the go to company. What's different for them? Well, you know, obviously, you know, you're not going out and pitching people to come in and eat a sandwich. (laughs) You know, hey, don't go to Quiznos. Come over to Subway. You know, you're not out there in the street doing that. However, a lot of it, if that's what you own, a lot of your sales is for the people who work with you. You're, You're doing sales all the time to your employees. One of the biggest things people forget is that if you build an environment in a, a, you know, a service business like that, like sandwiches or whatever, you're got to be selling to your employees on how to be the face of the firm because you're, you can't work, you know, the shop's open 18 hours a day. You can't be there 18 hours a day, seven days a week. And you're not going to be able to talk to every single person. So you constantly have to be doing sales to get buy-in from the people around you. And again, it's just asking questions, finding out, creating that right culture. Because if you create a thing where your customers say, I love coming into this sandwich shop because I feel so important. And you've done that because you've cultivated a culture with your employees. 
people are going to come back and have sandwiches there. Yeah, it's the idea that they, they come there. Granted, they could say it's because of the quality or the taste, but sometimes it's that they feel special. It makes them feel good about going there. Yeah, and I recently spoke to a bunch of restaurant owners. It was all independent restaurant owners, and there was about 40 of them in the room, and they were talking about the hardest thing for them is their employees are transactional employees. They're just there while they're in college, or they're just there for six months. And I said, great, what are their hopes and dreams? If you're a college student, yeah, you don't want to work at the Mexican restaurant your whole career, but why are you there? What are they trying to accomplish? What do they want to do? I look back at my first restaurant job. I still use things I learned as a busboy mm-hmm. in my job today. And I don't think my boss knew he was teaching me that. But what if he did? Yeah. And I was a bartender and waiter uh, for about six or eight months when I was in college. And I actually referenced that a lot. It's extremely educational. And it makes you wonder then uh, if you, you and I are using those lessons here 30 years later. So speaking of lessons. You started your, your business. Uh, you are a service provider. I am a service provider. Many of the people listening to this podcast are service providers, meaning, you know, we don't we don't sell, uh, you know, widgets necessarily. What did you learn in your first couple of years that you didn't see coming? Where did you get like hit upside the head? I thought that it was just one of these things that if I like hung out a flag that said, I'm a speaker, people would be impressed. <laughs> and you know what? There, this happens all the time. Uh, you know, lawyers talk about hanging a shingle. Well, just hanging a shingle still doesn't mean that the phone's going to ring and the email box is going to be full. Yeah. So it was one of those things that even if you're good, and I think you have to be good, I think in all businesses, you know, people always say, like I ask people all the time, well, what's your differentiator? Oh, well, uh, we're a relationship bank. I hate to tell you, all banks are relationship banks. That's not a difference. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of folks that uh, have successful businesses and they could be a touch more successful if they could pull back and see themselves from the public perspective, from the from the customer's perspective. Great example. I asked uh, one of my guests here on this on this podcast, I said, what differentiates you? He said, oh, our customer service. <laughs> Everybody and their sister thinks that they have stellar customer service right well everybody thinks that but here's the thing good customer service or being a good speaker or having a good podcast that's the ticket into the game yeah everybody has that nobody listens to a podcast going oh you know oh i hope this sucks they chose your podcast because they know you do interesting conversations and it's the same thing with dry cleaning nobody says yeah you know i really hope that my dry cleaning comes back and it just Clean. looks like shit yeah. I, just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got you know i i picked this dry cleaner you know the difference between this dry cleaner and the other one is they make my clothes clean they all make your clothes clean so I think one of the things I learned is that doing good work was important. I mean, uh, was important, but it didn't differentiate me because most of the speakers out there are really good. But in order to be have longevity, I had to have really, really good work. But then I had to go sell it. I had to constantly be marketing. I had to be writing blog posts every day. And there was no point I could turn it off. You just used the word, and you and I have talked. My next book outline is for a book that I'm going to call Longevity. You know, how to how to make success last. You're at 10 years of starting your own thing. You didn't come into this as a fresh out of high school. You know, you worked in marketing for all that. You were 42 when you, you took the leap of uh, faith and jumped off the entrepreneurial uh, high dive. How do you make it last for 10 or 20 more years? Because that's longevity. Well, I think that longevity matters because I think that you know there's a lot of people who are flashing the pans. And again, just using the speaking industry, you and I have seen a lot of people come and go, you know, over my 10 years and your 20 plus years doing it. We've seen a lot of people who they, they they're the it boy or the it girl for a little while because they did something famous 
or whatever. Yeah, they had a book. They uh, they had a book. They they uh, they they were in a war zone. They won an Olympic medal. There's all those kinds of things. And we're not talking Michael Phelps level. We're talking you got a bronze at the right. you know at the Torino Games. Good, fantastic, congratulations. But now let's turn that into a, a career. You're probably not going to. Right, and that, and that's the whole thing is maybe for a year or two they can do it. I think longevity when you can prove that hey I've been doing it. I've adapted. I've changed with the market. I think clients like that. And so the fact that I just hit 10 years, I'm spending the whole month of April and beyond talking about the fact that I've crossed this thing. I posted it on Facebook and LinkedIn, and I got hundreds and hundreds of likes and and comments and individual direct messages. People are impressed with longevity in a world where everybody wants a fast answer. Everybody thinks everything is, you know, magic, that somehow uh, a like, a link, a share, and a follow is worth something. It's not. Longevity is. And that's right. And, you know, my thing now, people ask me, all right, I'll be 50 this summer. And they'll say, uh, wait, are you going to retire? I said, yeah, we could. We could make that happen. I'm not being arrogant. But, yeah, I could be retired. I'd have to change a lot of things and, you know, uh, restructure some things. But why would I want that? I really kind of enjoy my work. My big picture objective now is to have the longevity to then because longevity gives you choice yes then you you say i'm going to go out on my terms or i'm going to make this thing and and the next thing and the next thing that's what i think of when i think of longevity it's it's the work to do to keep it going for a long time and then also how can you wrap it up on your terms i think one of the secrets to longevity is being able to pivot and being able to try new things, which has become a personal mantra of mine. It's part of what I talk about and what I teach is if you keep doing the same thing over and over, you're not going to get new results. The problem is, is that in a dynamic business world, someone's going to, you know, I hate that. I hated the book. Who moves you? Who moved your cheese? Right, right. But the title of the book is actually the premise of the book is great. I didn't need 200 pages about mice eating cheese. However, your cheese is going to move. And so In order to have longevity, you've got to be willing to pivot. And I've interviewed 400 plus entrepreneurs on my podcast. And one of the number one things they all tell me when I say, how do you get across that gap between potential and results? It's you got to try something new. And when your market changes, don't sit there and cry, create a new product, create a new service. And that's why I created a whole new keynote last year. Yeah. So adaptability is what we're talking about because, and so when you have had 400 plus interviews with entrepreneurs in your podcast called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, and by the way, if you forgot, this is Tom Singer I'm talking to right now, T-H-O-M, Singer, like a person that bolts out notes. You should find him. You can find him on social media. You can find him through me. You can find him on Facebook. You can find him on email. You probably should do so. And you might check out his podcast. He talks about the paradox of potential. Tell me about that, because the entrepreneurs you've talked to and then potential. I want you to give me either of those things. What have you learned about from the entrepreneurs? Well, so this new keynote, this new it's going to become a book, The Paradox of Potential. It was all born out of the podcast because I'm interviewing these entrepreneurs and I'm asking them and and we're talking about time and time again about businesses that have potential that fail, businesses that have potential that succeed. And so I started doing some more intensive research and it turns out that there's a lot of people out there who honestly believe they could be doing more in their career, in their jobs. Now, some of them are entrepreneurs, but a lot of them are employees. Mm -hmm. And so I've had, uh, I had like a little survey monkey survey that 500 plus people have taken. And I ask them flat out, you know what your potential is. You, you went to college, you did these different things. How do you feel the results you're getting in your career are? And most have answered, yeah, I could be doing better. I could be doing more. Well, most people could be doing more and they could be doing better. I mean, obviously that's what I talk about a lot. Do business better is we're not going to pull some nonsense. You can lay on your couch and eat Funyuns all day and you'll be a billionaire. But 
it's going to take some work. It's going to take, like you said, getting a little bit uncomfortable and adapting. And then you can probably improve by 10 or 20%, maybe 50%. Yeah, but you're not going to eat Funyuns to, your, to billionaireism. Uh, potential. Most people have it and they're not fully using it. That's what you're hearing? Well, yeah. And, and what I tell people is, is so 70% of the people are telling me I could be doing more in my job. And I say, look, it's not a scientific survey. What if I'm wrong? What if it's 50% of the people actively know they're not living up to the potential in their job and they all work for you? What if everybody just moved a little bit farther across that gap? Because here's the secret. You're never going to reach your potential. And the reason for it is your potential is a growing living thing. It's going to grow. As you go through your journey, you're going to listen to a podcast. You're going to hear a speaker. You're going to read a new book like Do Business Better. And you're going to learn. Your potential is going to shift. So we can't build a bridge and drive all your employees across in a bus. What I tell people we have to do is build a scaffolding and let everybody go across it modularly at their own pace painting a picture for you the listener we're going to have a couple more questions with tom singer because i think he's got brilliant stuff to say you talked about making yourself uncomfortable and that's one way you achieve your potential you adapt you pivot you make yourself uncomfortable and then you achieve more of your potential one of the things that you've done the last year that i've been really impressed with and i've kept up with you on social media doing this you've been going to open mic nights you are not a comedian by trade you don't even sell yourself as a comedian i used to be a comedian i can tell you and i can tell all of my dear listeners it is a grind it is harder than you realize to stand up on a stage and deliver 60 minutes or 30 minutes or 45 whatever slot you're trying to fill of original content that is comedic that gets a few laughs per minute is a booger Tom is doing this just to challenge himself. Tell me about open mic nights and what it's taught you. So it came about about a year ago, another professional speaker, a guy named Drew Tarvin, who is a professional comic and improv guy. Drew, I was going to be in New York and I said, I'd love to go out. And he goes, oh, come to open mic night with me. And I literally looked him in the eye and said, I would love to come watch you work on new material. And he shook his head and goes, that's not what I'm inviting you to do. Write a five minute set and do open mic night. And I freaked out. I'm like, no, I can't do that. And he goes, did you ever want to do it? And when I was young, I wanted to be an actor or a comedian. And he goes, you never tried? And I said, no. And I didn't live by this try new things idea when I was 19. And he said, well, why not? It's five minutes. You're in New York. You're not going to know anybody. So I, I did it and I enjoyed it. And I realized it taught me something. And so I started doing it every week. When I travel, I'm in Tucson or I'm in Tulsa, I look up open mic night. Now that I've done about 50 of them, what I've learned is as business people, we can learn so much from comedians because the people who make it, the people who are, are serious and who break out, and I'm not talking Seinfeld, I'm talking about just working comics who are making enough to pay their, their way. They're traveling the country, they're headlining. In order to get there, they had to work their ass off. It's five and 10 years of five and 10 open mic nights a week. I'm doing one a week. It's a grind to be successful. And you got to throw your, you, you know, you got to throw your material out and get new material because after they've heard you, yeah. you got to have something new. Yeah, so as I, business people, we need to pay attention to what comics do. I I, I agree. Well, thank you, by the way, since I'm a former comedian. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I actually give a lot of lessons to my audiences from comedy about, first off, being an amazing observer, listening and paying attention to everything. If you were in business and all you did was worry about the competition, how many comedians do you think just say, oh, God, uh, I've got to do this because uh, Larry the Cable Guy does this. Larry the Cable Guy does this. Larry the Cable Guy does this. You, you would have no act. You've got to pay attention. You don't get up there and do jokes about focusing on your competition. You do jokes of focusing on observations of the world. And Larry the Cable Guy invented something new. He wasn't Seinfeld. He was Larry the Cable Guy. He wasn't Jeff Foxworthy. 
And so you, you have to be you, you have to be unique. You have to find your own way. You have to find your own stories and you can't steal. The other thing is in comedy, you can't steal from the other comics. Actually, of all things, there's actually such, it's amazing to me that, that there is a code of honor. You know, there was a guy named Carlos Mencia that had a show on comedy central and then it got out that he was lifting other people's material, and that's what we call it, dear listeners, lifting other people's material. This happens in the speaking circuit. I have been time. at meetings. I have been at meetings in the agricultural industry where I saw a person get up and deliver my stuff, and it pissed me off because from the comedy standpoint, they'd be banished. Right. Or maybe just taken out in the back of an alley and, and get the hell beat out of them with a beer bottle. But right. you know. and, and other comics, I mean, they tell you when you're new as you start to get, it takes a while to get accepted into. You don't just get to show up and go, hi, I'm a comic. Yeah. But when they bring in, they start telling you, you know, like, oh, that's a really good joke, but it's really similar to what so-and-so does. So make sure you take it this other direction yeah. so that it's yours. And, and I think you gotta, you gotta be original. And in business, if you're, I mean, it's one thing if you buy a franchise, because yeah. then you have to look like every single yeah, franchise. You're a standard, you're, you're a standardized product that's supposed to be the same, right. whether you're in Tulsa or Tacoma. Right. And, and there's rules around it. But if you're starting your own business, no matter what it is, whether it's a law firm, whether you're a speaker, whether you have a dry cleaner, you need to stay stand out and you need to find a way to be unique so that people talk about you. And I think a lot of people just try to copy oh, who's the most successful. I'm starting a coffee shop. I'm going to make it like Starbucks. We're going to call the medium a grande. Well, that's not standing out. That's not unique. You're never going to get traction. I don't like to let these things go too long. Tom Singer and I could talk at great length. We could talk <laughs> even more about comedy. I wish we'd have gotten into that sooner. You know, uh, one last thought, a piece of advice, idea, insight you want to share that anybody who runs their own business can glean, something they can learn from you. You know what? Don't blame other people. Take ownership for your own life. If you're having a, a crappy year, and I've been doing this for 10 years, and I grew every single year, and then one year I didn't grow, and I, I didn't blame the economy. I didn't blame other speakers. I didn't blame, you know, my wife. The reality is, is that I didn't pivot fast enough. So the best advice I can give you is take ownership for the good and the bad, but own it. This is the Do Business Better podcast. Till next time, I'm Damian Mason. My guest was Tom Singer. Thank you very much, Tom, for being on. Thank you. All right. Till next time.